Good morning, Ian Power here with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, today being the sun run, and everybody is in fine form, I hope they're in fine form, and good spirits for the run. Now they say that the numbers are down this year a little bit from years past, but if if my experience is any indication, and please don't ever use my experience as an indication, it seems to me the numbers are up a little bit. There's a huge crowd of people in downtown Vancouver getting set for the run. I wish every single one of them uh, much success and no pain by the time they're done doing what they're doing. Nice day today. Beautiful day, and it's barbecue season. You may recall, I know you that you do, because uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we talked to Joe Carroll. She is with Barbecue Be Clean. She's got a business that started on the North Shore a couple of years ago. Essentially, she goes to people's houses and has this uh, proprietary steam cleaner. I think, I believe it's Italian made that will clean up the barbecue and sterilize it and make sure that it's in good working order. Because we like to barbecue here. Mm-hmm. In fact, we can do that 12 months of the year. So barbecue season is here. A lot of people are thinking about an open flame. Perhaps Sunday, it's family night, and you're going to do just that after the sun run. What's your favorite thing to grill? Well, I, I was steak for the longest time, and I found some rub. Now I'm finding a little bit of poultry is really good on the barbecue. Really? Okay. Yes. Now, what's the trick? Because anytime I put poultry or chicken, as I call it, yes. on the barbecue, it sticks. Yes, it's uh, apparently it's a it's a quick sear on one side, flip it, then sauce it, and low and slow. Low, low and slow. Yes, I've heard that before. That's how you're supposed to cook your eggs, by the way. Yes, I've heard that as well. Low and slow. Yes, forget about too hot. Lots of uh, new accessories coming down uh, this year, as in all years, there's always something coming through the various manufacturers of the barbecues, because now barbecuing is much more than just cooking on an open flame like it was when we were growing up. Now it's low and slow, it's searing, it's flipping, it's all those things. So I have put together, uh, with the help of uh, different manufacturers, so to avoid naming the manufacturers, I've put them all together Mm. and came up with a few of the accessories that are are coming uh, your way and are now available for your patio, your balcony, or your backyard, wherever you do your barbecuing. Some people say that this whole barbecuing thing is way overrated. Let's just get a hibachi and go down to the beach or go to the campsite and be done with it. That's the way it's meant to be. (laughs) How about just an open flame in a pit? Yes. If you can do it. Oh, yes, true. You have to be allowed to do it. Yes. Uh, So one of the big things, and this is, these things may not be new, but these are definitely what is trending and expected to be very popular this season, the charcoal tray. So many people have a gas grill, which they believe means having to sacrifice flavors. You know, that classic charcoal cooking, you know, the coals, the the charcoals that when you were growing up. And you'd spray the whole the gas thing and you'd watch it blow <laughs> yes, up and yes. you'd have to wait until it reached a certain temperature. Well, now they have these trays that you fit right into underneath the, the burner of the grill and it gives you that smoky flavor. Nice. Yeah. Hmm. And then, of course, there's the other ones too that you can get, the different wood chips. Yes. Um, alder is a big one. Right. Yeah, I've seen those as well. Uh, the other thing that they're saying is that stainless steel may not be as popular as it once was. People are now going for colored porcelain lids. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. They say that the porcelain doesn't require as much cleaning and polishing as the stainless steel does. 
Interesting. And we've had that. We've had many people call us and say, how do I, how do I get the scratches out of my stainless steel? So color is uh, also very big. And, of course, you want to match it with whatever else you have in your backyard. Infrared grilling. I knew that would catch your attention because we talk about infrared right. for detecting moisture or leakage in a home. A home inspector often will use infrared. This is infrared grilling just like they do in the restaurant. The high heat of the infrared grilling comes from 10,000 ports flaming a ceramic burner until it glows red. The result, a clean, consistent method of cooking that produces juicier, tastier steaks and burgers. Mm. I think that we need to do a field trip. Absolutely. (laughs) I think we should experiment. Smoker tubes, also expected to be very popular. We, We mentioned this just a moment ago. Wood chips, you soak them in water. You put them in the smoker tube, you place it... Uh, on one side, the, the opposite side of the heat, and you get this, well, as they say, beautiful smoked meats. Mm, yeah. Which is good if you like meat. Well, sure. If you're, you're a vegetarian, the smoker thing is no good unless you like smoky vegetables. Well, why I know not? some people who smoke and are vegetables. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's another smoke. Mm. Uh, then mm. there's the, the shish kebab wheel. This does sound interesting. This is a handy attachment that fits right onto your existing ros- rotisserie spit. The shish kebab wheel holds your skewers of meat and vegetables in place as it evenly cooks them over the consistent heat of your grill. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I like the rotisserie idea. That's always good. And you do get that even heat. The trick, though, to barbecuing, for me, is none of the above. Although I like every single one of them, the real trick is having a burner that works properly. Oh, yes, yes. So it doesn't have rust holes in it. It's clean. The, the flame is set properly to the right BTUs, the right temperature, and all of that. Yes. Because that's what cooking's about. It's right. It's about heat. That's right. Even heat. Even heat. The more even the heat, the better the, the, the end result. Yeah. Although, frankly, and I suspect you're the same, at the end of the, at the, end of the cooking, it doesn't really matter. You're going to eat it either way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Whatever the risk might be. Right. All right. So barbecue season is well underway. If you have some tips by the way, on barbecuing or a newfound gadget that you have discovered this year, by all means, get on to the Home Discovery Show Facebook page and let us know because we're looking for some lessons on barbecuing and we want to figure out what are some of the great tricks that you might be using, some of the tricks of the trade even. Let us know again on the Facebook page of the Home Discovery Show. When we come back, we're going to go through the ABCs of renovation and design. We've got an expert, Jamie Banfield, one of the up-and-coming designers on the West Coast who is getting great accolades from all corners of the country. We'll be our guest next on the Home Discovery Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, and award-winning interior designer Jamie Banfield. He's become a real creative force in the industry and recognized for his signature West Coast style. Specializing in design for all spaces with a focus on kitchen and bath, Jamie has the ability to transform and create well-edited spaces that exude both function and beauty. He often uses reclaimed materials, offering a unique perspective to his finished rooms. Nice to have you with us again, Jamie. Hey, thanks for having me, Ian. You bet. Anytime, uh... Hey, listen, when it comes right down to design, how much of it is art and how much of it is science? Um, yeah, we get asked that all the time. Um, majority of the people, I think, think that we run around with, like, coloring boxes and 
it's all fun picking materials and samples, but realistically, though, it's like 90% science, 10% art. Um, like, we're figuring out, like, budgets and scale and the details, like the problem solving of how to put things together and how things will impact each other. And then the pretty fun art stuff is very little, and that's kind of the, the icing on the cake, I would say. Is that the mistake, do you think, that some people make, particularly uh, when they're, uh, people are undertaking a project to do themselves, that they think, you know, this certain type of cabinet might look good in this corner or this color might look good on the counter on the floor, rather than thinking more about the, the science or the function of the room? Yeah, exactly. Um, so one like great example of that is countertops. So we're all falling in love with these natural, organic, large pattern marbles and even like quartz is like picking up on that too they're mimicking stone but we're installing this on standard 25 inch deep countertops or small little islands in um in condos but realistically this 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 large vein and pattern should be emphasized on a large-scale island or a big backsplash or a nice table where you can actually see the over overall impact whereas if you install it on just a typical, you know, 25 and a half inch countertop, it can look very zebra stripish and not give that impact. So mm-hmm. for sure, people cut things out of a magazine and think that's exactly what's going into my house, but they're not understanding the whole scale or the overall size of, of certain things too. Yeah. Well, let's start, let's go back to the beginning then. Let's walk through the process because I think this is a, a good exercise to for anyone, including myself, to, to look at. Once... Sure. Once you have taken that decision to renovate and remodel, et cetera, um, how, how should you go from there? What is, what is the proper process in your mind to go from once you've made that decision? Yeah, um, great question, uh, where to start. So we get asked all the time, like, do you start with a contractor or a designer? Do you need both? Um, so it, my my thought on this is it, 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 it matters where, where your kind of head is and who you are as a person. So are you handy? Are you a contractor? Um, have you renovated before? Do you have relationships with certain people or not? And, like, where do you start? So some people might have an overall concept of want to take these walls down where that might be a conversation with the contractor first. But then on the other hand, it might be somebody that, you know, they're, they're building a home, but they want to have a certain – feel to their house, whereas they might want to engage on a designer first. And we just came into this project uh, not too long ago. It's a project in Richmond. We got called in pretty late in the project, and all the windows are already installed. Mm. But they're trying to create a certain scale of, of casing and moldings and a look of this house. But realistically, the way the windows are positioned, we can't install the correct molding that should be in this home. Right. So it and I think if if there was a little eye on that in advance before the the windows are ordered or even just installed, the, they could have made that that change and and it wouldn't have cost any additional money right. at all. So That's a good, good example. Yeah. So is it fair to say that the designer's role is to take a look at the space, whatever it is? Now I'm thinking kitchen and bath here, but it, it could be okay. any space for that matter. To, to take a look at that space, and assuming we're talking about the interior now, okay. and best decide how to meet the client's functional uh, needs as well as the second step, their aesthetic needs. Uh, yeah, so a couple of things there. So function uh, matters for layout, obviously. 
Um, so a designer will actually take into account what needs to happen. But like one step further too, like, you know, if you're doing it yourself and you go to a cabinet shop, their impact and their overall look is just the cabinet. It might go to a flooring guy and his overall impact is the flooring. But realistically, like the details of how those two things come together too, that's how a designer can actually believe the scheduling for install because the flooring guy might want to get in first so he doesn't make it the cabinets and the cabinet guy wants to get in first so he right. doesn't scratch the floor. Whereas realistically, you want that correct install to get that right detail. And then same on like budget, like when we talk about like function, like looking at the appliances just as one aspect, right? Okay. There's a massive range of investment on there. So if if like what a designer can bring to that is when they're looking and they're they're developing a space, they can understand what components should be in there for appliances, A for need of use, but then also the space that's actually given, but then also budget too. Yeah. What I'm hearing here, I think, is that the designer role is beyond just simply, and I don't mean simply, but simply designing and project management. Yeah, so there, there's a fine line between there, like on kind of a pecking order. So it depends who's actually running the project. So if there's a general contractor with a project manager, they can be the project manager as far as day-to-day tasks. And then what the designer can add to that value is they'll come in and they'll make sure things are up to snuff on quality of installs or the details are correctly executed because literally though, like we get it all the time where, you know, maybe there's two coats of cabinets and the homeowner has no idea what the difference is. So they might go to the more inexpensive or just the one that they, you know, the person they like the most. But realistically though, there's certain details that have been changed to make that price a little bit less expensive. And you won't know that until the overall look is done or somebody points it out Mm -hmm. after it's installed. Whereas those details may or may not matter to the overall appearance or function of, of, of just like talking about drawers, right? Like taking out drawers, mm-hmm. whereas that designer can actually approve those plans before they get installed. But when, when the actual installation process is going down, they're there to nitpick to make sure what's being ordered actually shows up too. Yeah. So they kind of do take a project management role. I mean, the one thing in the Institute is not a consistent um, plan of attack for every design firm. Some of them are very different, like design to build or just design or just schematics and things like that, where they can kind of execute different things for different needs. Right, right. So there's a certain level of coordination that takes place at very least. And uh, assuming the designer and the contractor, your your general contractor, get along, uh, you should have a pretty good finish by the time it's all done. The reason I say that is because, uh, with all due respect to the fellow who's sitting right across from me, Uh, I don't think that you necessarily want a contractor to come in and start designing, even though they know the installation process and they know the functionality, and they may even know a little bit about aesthetics, but most contractors don't really have the the expertise in design. Yeah, and and we work alongside contractors on every project, and we have a good relationship because we're not there to make like, we're there to kind of make the plan in advance and kind of have the product or documentation ready for when they need it, not, you know, tomorrow we're painting, get a paint color, where we're in advance doing that. But one example I would say is like a toilet. And most people just assume like a toilet's a toilet, it's just a white toilet. But realistically, though, there's like elongated to round or full height or dual flush or nightlight skirted toilets. They're all designed for different uses or different functions. 
And like we actually will take the client, make them sit, feel, understand what this thing is used for instead of just being we have a $250 budget or $800 budget for a white toilet, go get one. So that's kind of the difference that we bring in sometimes on, on different projects. Other, some contractors are more in-depth. They, they do kind of dig that process through. Some, some don't. They leave it up to the homeowners. I can't help but snicker a little bit when you talk about the different uses for a toilet. Uh, I mean, basically, there's just a couple of uses that I'm aware <laughs> of, unless you're out late night partying, and that's something altogether different. But sure. uh, that's a very good point. Further to that, if even if you're undertaking a project yourself, so in other words, you yourself are going to do all of the, the, the demo and the install, or the re and re as it were, it's still probably a good idea to have someone like you, Jamie Banfield, come in for the design function, uh, even if you're going to do it yourself. Um, yeah, so we work with DIY homeowners all the time. Um, the biggest question I throw out to them is like actually like who you are, like can you handle dust? Can you handle problem solving? Can you handle delays? Can, like, can you like a project that you think is going to take you two hours might take you two days just because when you pull down that wall, you don't know what's behind there. Mm-hmm. But simple things like um, like vanities, right? The, like you look at a picture online, you order a vanity, and there's you know we're seeing all these freestanding vanities, but they need to be installed correctly because a freestanding vanity will actually have you know, an overhang of countertop left, right, and front. And sometimes people think that they can just push this up against one wall where that little detail will make it look like literally a DIY project, whereas if that was installed correctly with the right countertop and a filler, that would look like a professional job. And that adds value because, like, at the end of the day, like, homes, like, this is a big investment and, you know, it, there's equity in there and hopefully, you know, there's money to come out of this home at the end of the day. And those little details will matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can you hang on for a sec? Yeah. Yeah, stay with us. We're going to take a break. Uh, one of the things that I want to talk to you about, because your specialty is millwork, so we're going to get into that after the break. I also want to ask you about online ordering, and if that's if you find in general that can backfire on people, because as you just said, uh, people will look at a magazine or look at a picture online and think, wow, that would look great, when in fact they get it to their home and it, it just it blows. It just doesn't yeah. fit at all. Jamie Banfield is our guest. Uh, Jamie Banfield is an award-winning interior designer, and we'll have more with him right after the break on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back. My name is Ian Power. I'm here with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, and we're talking to award-winning interior designer Jamie Banfield, who has been kind enough to join us this morning. One of the things that I wanted to talk about with you, Jamie, is because it is your specialty, and that is millwork, with so many people going with custom builds, let's say, in their kitchen and bathroom and elsewhere. Uh, What sets your work at Jamie Banfield apart from all of the others that claim to be the best at millwork? Um, yeah, great question. Um, what sets the part? Well, we're, we're, we're a design firm. We're not a design build firm. So we don't have one cat line that we have to install or function or use or that can work. So when we start a process, we're going to analyze like budget needs, what's the correct fit, what's the correct style, and then layer that through to find the right solution for an actual product. Um, we do have our own cabinet line, and that was engineered and designed around a couple things. It was designed around locally sourced, but it was also on control of the product. 
Because when you go buy a cabinet, you know, it might say wood or, you know, what's the difference between a melamine between, you know, a big box store and a custom shop or a high-end melamine. There is no difference to a consumer, but there actually is different grades. Mm -hmm. So for us, we get full control on the exact product. We know where the plywood's ordered from, everything like that. But then we also get to bring in the the connecting points of design, right? So what do we see as a really good trend? What do we see as fitting for Timeless? What do we see fitting for BC? What can we implement that hits core values, maybe of eco-friendly, things like that, that's not going to kind of blow the budget. Mm -hmm. So things like that. And then our expertise is actually design professionals and all of our staff are educated in millwork for, for one reason is because it's the hardest thing in the home to get correct. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can look at a really good plan or a really good photograph, but until you actually get into the space using it and functioning with it, you're not really going to understand how it's going to impact your family. So we go through, a, I would say, a longer stretch of understanding what's needed and what's going to fit, um, what you need to store, how you're going to cook, how you're going to cook now with two kids to how you're going to cook when it's just you and your husband in the home. Right. And it's uh, it's also, uh, aside from all of that, millwork can be very, very difficult to install if it's not done correctly. Because yeah. if you can find me, you know, four walls that are perfectly square and plumb and a floor that will match, I say good luck on you, go with it. But most of our kitchens and bathrooms and other rooms that we might put millwork in uh, probably aren't plumb like that and can provide some challenges. What What is the Banfield Collection? Now, obviously, it's something that you've put together. But is this something that's new? Have you just released this? Is this something that uh, anybody can access? Yeah, like um, so we've been working on this now for uh, about about two years. And the whole philosophy behind it is literally it's it's driven from locally sourced product or or influence and things like that here. So the woods are very rustic, but they connect with DC. But the one flair that it has on it is it's bringing old school craftsmen back to life. So uh, most consumers are not going to know the difference between like a European box or a uh, uh, face frame or inset, but inset and overlay cabinetry used to be old school, how things used to be made. And I see a very big trend coming through of homeowners that want to know that they're buying the correct quality product. And mm-hmm. I think showcasing how things are made and actually being able to touch and feel and see the details will do that. Um, and your point about can anybody access it? Yes. Like, I mean, the the process is different. We're not going from a catalog of, you know, these are standard sizes like you would get from a big box company. We start with an understanding of how things are going to function in the home and then build the cabinetry around that. So we don't have to stick to exact one-inch increments or three-inch increments. The drawer sizes and height could be, you know, the standard or not. There's But, the like, our network that we've built around building this there is no penalties to doing those things because mm-hmm. there really shouldn't be. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, and again, with all due respect, when I hear the guy on the radio say award-winning interior designer, Jamie Banfield, I think ka-ching. Uh, how accessible are you? Or are you, are you, and it's okay if you are, are you strictly higher end? No. So, and that's when I got into this industry. I have um, kind of, I felt like a big glass wall to knock down with that because two reasons. One, if you look to what we actually do, so design professionals, what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to problem solve and we're supposed to enhance the quality of life in a home. So that quality in life could be anything from making sure this comes in on budget so I don't have stress about 
paying off loans or credit cards or whatever later on, or it could be the actual function of this sink or faucet. So we'll work on literally if it's if it's a bedroom and somebody cannot sleep, it's understanding that one paint color in that bedroom to make them fall asleep, or if somebody has anxiety or a kitchen, like a, a basement street kitchen, is this a space that needs to be designed for revenue to help the family get to point A or B or a custom home, right? So uh, we obviously come as a cost, mm-hmm. but we're, we should be tangible for majority of the range from, you know, common folk, which is me, I'm common folk, <laughs> all the way up to high end if needed. Um, but my, my mandate on design, I think, is that it should be tangible for everyone. Okay. So added value there, we do, like, we do cost money, obviously, for our time. But there's savings, whether it's things running smoothly, not doing things twice. Getting it right. Or getting it right. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, no, well, of yeah. course. And I mean, uh, we, we all pull our pants up on in the morning to, to go and earn a living. And and that's totally good. But I guess the thing is, is that people do get this impression when they hear the word designer and then you couple it with award winning, they immediately think that it's beyond them. And yet in the long term, there may be more value in hiring a good designer than not going with a designer at all because of all the reasons you just said, most of which are having to do it twice or picking the wrong product. Uh, Two more things before I let you go. Uh, As we get close to our next break, uh, how do you define West Coast style, which is your sort of your signature style? Um, Yeah, so West Coast to me is like I, I, I grew up in the UK, got replanted in BC and fell in love. And our office is, you know, South Vancouver, we look onto the Fraser River, and every day I'm staring at water, trees, rocks, just things that I think build up what, what, what our surroundings is and why people love connecting to BC. So to me, it's, it's bringing those extra elements into here. So we're also seeing that flow of outdoor kitchens, outdoor spaces, which I think layers off of that. But to me, it's layering that texture and that tonage from the exterior inside. And when people think about BC, they think about calming and relaxed and, mm-hmm. and you know, easygoing but still sophisticated. And I think, to me, that is core values of what West Coast design is. I think it, it, it's going to evolve and it is evolving from, you know, very rustic, you know, beams and heavy, heavy, you know, woods, maybe into more um, sleeker lines, maybe more metals, maybe a bigger twist on um mid-century modern playing through, um, things like that. But I think the core value behind West Coast style is literally the text and the tonage from from our surroundings, which is amazing. Yeah, and your work is incredible, I can say that. Uh, You've got an event as we wrap up here. I wanted to mention this. You've got the annual Ensuite Sidewalk sale event on May 7th. Uh, Let's get a little plug on the air for that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we're going to be on site. So it's, um, it's it's, it's, it's a... it's a color branded store, so they're going to be offering amazing deals. But they're going to have professionals on site, so they're going to have like guys talking about countertops. So it's 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 somewhat of an educational event too. Um, our staff will be there, so we'll be helping out with whether it's like design questions or picking the right toilet or or just connecting on whatever spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Ensuite puts us on just to kind of say thanks to their customers, pretty much. Where and when? Um, it's in Burnaby, and it's on. Now you got me on the spot. It's on Sum- on Sumner Avenue, is that the one? 31, uh, 39 Sumner Avenue? Um, I think. I just, you got me I just, on the spot. Yeah, I just looked it up. Okay. 
Um, 3139 Sumner Avenue, the ensuite Burnaby from 10 till 4. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, uh, really appreciate your time, Jamie. Hope you'll come back and talk to us again. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. You bet. Award-winning designer, interior designer, Jamie Banfield. Uh, He's a very talented man and has been showcased uh, a lot lately as one of the young designers to watch out for. We're going to answer some questions. Uh, we've, we've received a, an inordinate amount of email, and we don't always get a chance to answer that on air. We're going to uh, do some of that, talk more about what's going on at your place. If you'd like to join the conversation, we'll open the phone at 604-280-9898, or if you're mobile right now, star 9898. This is the Home Discovery Show. We'll be back on News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, back on the Home Discovery Show. Wanted to get to some of the questions, and we do receive a, an awful lot of email, which is always appreciated. We do answer it, but not always on the air. Uh, this one's pretty straightforward, Steve. Why does the caulking in my shower keep getting black, regardless of how I clean it? The tough one, yeah, the tough one with caulking is, is it's not all created equally. What's often the case is... The wrong kind used, even though it says kitchen and bathroom on there, it may be just an acrylic base or latex base. It really should be the one that is 100% joint rubber silicone. Of course, there's a reason why the mold is there. Uh, there's there's too much humidity. There's water coming in from the outside or getting in from the inside. It, it really, that, that's that's just the reason why it's coming there, but it's settling on the caulking because the caulking is usually the wrong kind. So find out why it's getting in there first and then change it to one that's called 100% joint rubber silicone. We're going to jump on the phone in a second, but uh, related, my electrical outlet in the bathroom doesn't work, and I've checked the breakers, and they're all on. It's a tough one. You're supposed to be, by um, even old building code, old electrical code, they're supposed to be GFCI protected, which is ground fault circuit interrupter protected. It may be on the breaker as a button. It may be on a an outlet that is not the one that is off. So, for example, if you have an ensuite and you have a main bathroom and you have a powder room, Often the power from the panel will come into the powder room, and that there is where the GFCI receptacle is, and then it goes out from there to the other bathroom. So check the other bathrooms, and if you have more than the one, and it will probably be a, a tripped GFCI breaker in one of the other bathrooms. How can I get rid of the smell coming from my sink slash garburetor? Those are always stinky. Those are, you know, you do have to do some cleaning on there. The best uh, thing to do on there is regularly flush them down when you're using them. I've taken frozen ice cubes of uh, with lemon in them and, and gobble those up down the garburetor. Baking soda and water works in there, baking soda and vinegar, rather, and flush that down. It, it, they just, they just, they're dirty cesspools. It's hard to keep them clean. Morning, Jerry. Hi, good morning. Yeah, I was talking uh, earlier there. We have a, we were thinking about doing our, uh, renovating our kitchen. And uh, we have a fridge that's 32 inches that actually, and cabinets that are 24. Um, I thought I heard Jamie say that there's no penalty like to make the cabinets 32 inches. Um, do, do, uh, but one thing we did learn is that the, we can buy fridges that are 24 inches, but they're about $8,000. So um, I'm just wondering, like... We got a quote from uh, an outfit, and they they never mentioned that it was all going to be custom, but they said it would the fridge would be flush. So, are there cabinets that are thirty two inches, or is it all twenty four? 
Well, I think what uh, Jamie's referring to is when they're specifically building cabinets, not themselves, but when they're designing the cabinets. So, so when you're dealing with custom-made millwork, it can be made an inch bigger, an inch smaller. If if what you're contacting or who you're contacting is a big box store, for example, they have what we commonly call the European box design, then they are set for mass production. So you have a 30-inch cabinet, 32-inch cabinet, 33-inch cabinet. So those are reasonably set. And then the differences have to be made up with fillers. You have to get the smaller size cabinet, make up the change with a filler. So where he's, where he's referring to, there's no penalty, is when they're manufacturing, the, when they're designing the cabinets, if you need one inch bigger, an inch smaller, it doesn't make a hill. It means a difference. In your case here, you're stuck with something now. You'd likely have to go with a, a largest cabinet you can do and then uh, add a filler or subtract uh, from the size down. And, and you can get counter-depth countertops or counter-depth fridges as well. They are a lot more money. Appreciate your call and a good question, Jerry. Just to follow up on that, uh, again, we got to take a break. Uh, but this whole concept of buying products online could be problematic unless you do have a designer in place or somebody who knows what they're doing because you may l- like the look of it and it may measure out according to what you've figured but then you get it home and you put it in place and it's it's just not right for a whole number of reasons. Right. I mean, you're absolutely right. Everybody can measure. Most people can measure and they can see what's online, even call somebody. But what Jamie's referring to, uh, to put words in his mouth, is there are other nuances within that that may not be visible uh, to the uneducated, the inexperienced eye. And that exactly is it. The toilet, for example, is the same thing. The cabinets... It can work. It's just, will it look as good as it probably should work uh, in in what you want as your design? We'll keep a line open for you at 604-280-9898, star 9898 for mobile use. And we'll come back on the Home Discovery Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power back with you, along with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. We're tidying up some emails, some questions that we receive on a regular basis, hopefully uh, an answer to a question that you might yourself have. This one from Elaine. I have a question pertaining to kitchen task lighting. We've been offered halogen lighting by our designer, but my research has discovered that halogen lighting can be quite hot, especially if used as under-counter lighting, so I would prefer something more energy efficient. Can you recommend some pot lighting that will give good task lighting as well as what can be used under cabinet lighting uh, anything that you can offer would be appreciated. Absolutely, Lane. There, there is lots of technology now available for LED lighting, uh, both for recessed lighting, you can get just bulbs, or you can get actual fixtures that are themselves uh, an LED light fixture. So they're low voltage. You can uh, often they're, they're they're variable insulation. So if if you're attic space above, then you can put them in there. They're not as as uh, uh, fire hazard as the old pot lights are. And under counter lighting is another great one. You can get the individual puck lightings. You can get strip lighting. They're very small. You can't really see them, and, and they do throw a lot of light. You can get lots of different colorings, and you can get all different heat ranges. Um, and, and again, they're low voltage, very little electricity used. Well, that's and, a nice thing, too, uh, about the LED lighting is that you don't have, usually you don't have to worry about uh, finding a new source at the panel you can use what you use, and you're going to use probably somewhere around 80 or 90% less of the energy that you've been using Absolutely, in the past. absolutely. That's, that's a good idea. Good, good advice and a good question. Andrew, good morning. Hi, good morning. Um, I have an older house built in the 40s, and it and, uh, has a good 18-inch overhang, but no soffit. So the, the attic doesn't breathe, and I have a whirlybird in, and that's it. So I was wondering, do you think it would be better to, like, cut a small 
line of soffits every eight feet or something, or would it be better to take everything out and install all under soffits? So where your softening or your roof framing comes down and meets the roof, that's probably a solid frame in there, and you have what we call eaves, I guess, exposed uh, exposed soffits. Uh, yes. it, it's probably a better route to get some circular puck vents and drill holes through um, you know, every third or fourth one of those, and you can stick in a round puck vent, make sure the insulation is, is uh, pulled back out of the way, and you have some shoots up in the attic as well. Uh, alternatively, if your roof is getting on in age, you may want to look at a, a ridge-style vent and then do some gable end vents if you have gable ends. I'm not really sure what you're referring to gable end. Uh, so if you have an A-frame shape of a roof, then the outsides of it are often uh, just like shaped like the letter A. And no, that, that's not. None of that? Okay. No. So you're probably stuck with having to simply, without affecting a lot of framing, is just drill some puck vents into the ends of those boards that are coming up through the soffit lines. And, uh, like, how often or how, how, like, I'm not familiar with puck vents. Well, you'd have to, you'd probably have to get in touch with the roofer to, to do some calculations of what the ventilation is needed. Uh-huh. But if there's nothing in there now, anything you're going to add will help for some ventilation, some circulation through. But without causing some grief, you should be able to get someone to come over and look specifically at the roof to design the detail and where they should be placed. Yeah, there's a bit of science involved in that, Andrew. And uh, I think that at very least, as Steve says, that to get a roofing contractor over there to at least guide you in some way. And if you have to pay some kind of a, a quote fee or something like that, it'd be well worth it because... You don't want to to get that wrong, and it's good that you're addressing this issue. Can you overvent, Steve? Is it possible to overventilate your at your attic space? Uh, in if it's not balanced from the intake and the exhaust, you could cause some grief. But typically, you can't really overventilate it. So balance is the key, then. Yes, and there's a formula that roofers use, or at least are supposed to use, when calculating the venting. Right, it's it's a one in three hundred. So every uh, every square footage of the attic space is calculated based on the square footage of what the vents are, the style and the kind of the vents and what they're doing, and there's a, there's a match between them. And then you have to somehow calculate into that uh, if you're using your attic, as many people do, for storage, which is not something that I would necessarily endorse or agree upon. Right. Uh, you're not really supposed to use your attic for that, although many, many people do. But that would also affect the, the flow and the the air movement in that area. Right. If, you, if you're putting things in the way of the vents, then that's going to restrict it. Or if you've, uh, some people put plywood down on top of there and, and use it as storage as you say in there, and then it becomes a bit of an issue. Strip it right back. What's the purpose of venting? Your roof. It's, it's to provide some, uh, some a thermal break between the warm side of the home and the uninsulated or the cold side, which is the roof. If your roof attic space gets too hot, you can prematurely wear out your roof. Mm-hmm. If it's too cold, then you can suffer uh, a thermal change coming down so it gets cold inside the home. Amila Bamji is our technical producer for Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. My name is Ian Power. Stay with us for Vancouver Consumer. That's next on News Talk 980 CKNW.